the Ghost Goal Podcast. The first weekend of November Premier League football did not disappoint, as there were goal fests, upsets, red cards, and turbulent VAR decisions galore. Chelsea and Newcastle ended Tottenham and Arsenal's unbeaten starts to the season, respectively, while Luton almost scrapped a home win against Liverpool. I'm Alex, here with Javier. Welcome to the Ghost Goal Podcast, episode 430. Javier, uh, we've uh, been in contact uh, a little bit over the weekend. Uh, Less good result for your Gunners than it was for Mike Chelsea, but uh, we both come out overall frustrated, and uh, I'm sure we're both ready to vent shitloads uh, over the next uh, 40 minutes or so. Yeah, uh, Alex, first of all, but you know what? How are you doing, man? How are you the, doing? The, the, I'm, I'm doing well. I'm doing very well. Uh, the, the unbeaten achievement still remains. It's impossible to do again. No one will ever do it again. And uh just want to say that that, that achievement will, will remain untouched, you know, for, uh, Not really, since like three other teams have done it before the Premier League. In the era, Premier League era, I just mean it, it'll be the it, it'll remain. They will remain the Invincibles forever. It's because it doesn't matter, and no one really cares about it. Um, yeah, so let's start with today's marquee fixture. Yeah, we got to start mean, there, Alex. I mean, we, that we was... would have started with Arsenal Newcastle, since that is a clash, you know, of two teams further up the table. But today's. Tottenham Chelsea game was just too crazy to not start there. Just an insane game. Chelsea ended up winning 4-1. And let me just start by saying, I have never felt more terrible about a Chelsea performance while winning 4-1. And I've never felt more terrible about a Chelsea performance when beating Tottenham than I did today. Allow me to Kobe this thing and just sort of like call an ISO and just get out of the way. Let me vent for a couple minutes here and then... Whatever you want to add to that, please be my guest. But Chelsea obviously ended up winning 4-1, mainly because Tottenham pretty much handed Chelsea the game on a platter. They had a man sent off. They could have had both Udogi and Romero sent off much earlier than they ended up being sent off. Uh, but eventually in the first half, after Tottenham came out of the gates roaring, scoring in the sixth minute or seventh minute and creating plenty of chances, almost going up 2-0 if, if not for that goal being chalked off by VAR, Chelsea got a, a small foothold in the game and eventually uh, one of those over-eager tackles from Tottenham, uh, the one by Christian Romero uh, later in the first half, ended up with him being sent off for his challenge on Enzo uh, Fernandez, And a penalty was awarded, Chelsea equalized, and for the remainder of the half, it was Chelsea pushing to, to go ahead. That same run of play continued into the second half, except Destiny Udogi ended up getting himself a second yellow card and Tottenham went down to nine men in the 55th minute. Over the next 20 minutes, what proceeded to happen was one of the most shameful and embarrassing sequence of events that I've ever seen uh, from a Chelsea team. What have we been saying about this uh, this Chelsea team for years, Javier? We, we've been saying they struggle most when playing against a low block, trying to find space in behind is almost impossible when that happens. And Tottenham, unbeknownst to me, I don't know why, I'm, I'm guessing after seeing Ange's, uh, Ange Postacoglu's comments after the game that he's just fully committed to this style of play. But Tottenham, while only having nine men, played a high line at midfield for the next 20 minutes and onwards that allowed Chelsea 
to get in behind countless times. And even when we were allowed in behind countless times, we squandered chance after chance due to selfish play, not squaring the ball early enough on a couple of occasions. Kukurea trying to shoot when he had a, a basic sideways pass to Sterling to tap in. The fact that it took as long as it did for Chelsea to end up going ahead in the 75th minute through Nico Jackson and then picking them off a couple more times in injury time to get Jackson his hat trick. It was just the manner in which and how long it took for Chelsea to wrap that game up that made that made me embarrassed. You're forgetting Tottenham's three chances to almost equalize well, after you please. went up 2-1. Yeah. So that's that that's a part of the game that I would be infuriated at as well. It's like they almost came back into it at nine men on they had the dire goal that was chalked offside, you know, the the son shot and and the 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 back post uh, almost happened. So they they had three chances basically to score with that tactic, which to me is very impressive. Like I know that they you guys should have piped them and should have beaten them, you know, uh, by many more goals, but the fact that you they kept it somehow two one, and in the ninetieth you know ninetieth minute ninety third minute it took to for Chelsea to finally get that third goal, but they got a, a few chances. I think if they get the two two, they'll they would have held on to it, but they just kept trying to get that goal, you know. So the dire chance that you know, well, not the chance, the the goal that was disallowed by VAR. It looked like it was a stone wall offside when you like first saw the, the 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 still shot of where Dyer was standing, but then as they started to draw the lines and focus and zoom in on like the the back line of Chelsea, you could see it was either I think you said it was Gusto. I thought it was Dezassi with their foot out that made it so much closer. And my heart or my heart went into my throat for a minute there, thinking, "Oh my God, if they equalize here, and they give this." I don't see this Chelsea team, even with all the chances we've created, I don't see us like going on to win this. Luckily, that didn't happen. Went on to score a couple of goals anyway. But I, I can tell you what I was thinking when each of those three chances uh, was happening. It was just the inexperience of this Chelsea team. You could see it when we were on the ball up by two men, Tottenham down to nine men for basically the the whole second half, the majority of the second half. Even in those circumstances, there were plenty of players on the field for Chelsea that you could just see they didn't know what to do. They didn't know what should we try and keep the ball and calm things down. Should we try and push and you know obviously get the winner that they were trying to, we were trying to get for most of the game. And it was too many people, like too many players, trying to sort of like take ownership of the game themselves, and then the, the other players not taking enough ownership. It was like a completely disjointed performance that it's amazing to me that we ended up winning 4-1. Now, I only think we ended up winning 4-1 because of that tactic that uh, Postacoglu uh, took of playing such a high line. It was right there for Tottenham. What, like, like I just mentioned, Chelsea have been the most frustrating to watch for me as a Chelsea fan when we have to break down a low block team that's just holding on for a result. If at 1-1 and at halftime, Postacoglu had just said, okay, let's, you know, they still had 10 men at that point. Let's, you know, uh, drop deep a little bit, frustrate them, try and hit them on the counter with the pacey players like Son and maybe get them on a set piece like they almost did. Tottenham could have even ended up winning that game with 10 or, or 9 men, like pretty easily. It was just that approach of 
you know, staying like gung ho, all guns blazing. It got them the opportunities that they had, the three ones you mentioned, but it also was just far too risky and just left them way too open at the back. So you have to kind of applaud it, but if Tottenham are going to, you know, win, win I mean, the that's league, how they're going to become masters of their trade, right? They're just going to keep doing it over and over again until they become, you know, the best at it. They're only 11 games you'd, into You'd think this at tactic. nine men, you would stop doing that. But I mean, you know, 10 I, men, I, think I it's kind very of understand, but nine, yeah, no, I it's just, impossible I it's, to pressure the ball higher up the field. You can't like, there's a still that I posted on, uh, on, on Twitter. It was wild, right Alex, the game. you're right. I mean, it was, like, I think it was suicide. I think it was Thiago Silva who played the ball in behind uh, Sterling for uh, the the go-ahead goal, the 2-1 goal. Silva is legitimately just standing like 10 yards inside his own half, and Tottenham's defensive line are at midfield. And no one's pressuring Silva because they don't have enough men to press the ball higher up. It it didn't make sense to me, and it just embarrassed me that we didn't put this Tottenham team away sooner the way they were playing. But yeah, I leave it to you, and... uh, your thoughts on this one? No, I mean, you uh, you summed it up pretty well. I just, I, I thought what Tottenham did was admirable, but, you know, it wasn't the best tactic and Chelsea should have gone up, you know, four or five, six goals and just completely pulled away in this game. But it took as long as it did. And I think that's, like you said, a lot of it is an experience, but also, you know, I, I just, Chelsea don't have necessarily a, defined plan of attack or game plan every game it kind of seems like you guys work your way through games trying to feel out the opponent and then maybe try to create an opening on the counter attack or um, with a good sequence of passes but you're not you know there, there isn't really a consistent gameplay or game pattern yet for Chelsea or even starting lineup I mean it just seems like every week you guys have a different starting lineup so until we can see a little bit more consistency in Chelsea I think uh, you did have you know almost all your players back fit which uh you know, it's pretty rare for Chelsea. So I think we're starting to see a little bit more of what this squad can look like. I think Nkunku's coming back soon. Um, I think that's going to be obviously another one that you, you look to add, and he'll be finishing off some of those chances. So I, th- I think it's it's positives for uh, both teams and negatives for both teams. So I think uh, a draw would have probably been a more fair result in uh, you know the sequence of play overall, but... The red cards change everything, and and obviously in the end, Chelsea were uh, were good for the win. I'm happy you guys won. Kind of saved the weekend. I didn't want Tottenham to to get a result at all after we lost. Yeah, and it's especially bad lost, for Tottenham when you consider unquote. when you consider Romero with the straight red card. He's going to miss the next three games, and the third of those games will be uh, Manchester City. Uh, Udogi has a second yellow card, so he'll miss the Wolves away game next week. Uh, Madison and Van de Ven went off injured in the second half. Van de Ven looked like he just completely like pulled his hamstring. He just he was sprinting with Jackson trying to chase after a ball that was played in behind, and he just pulled up and immediately grabbed his hamstring. So that's going to be a pretty disastrous of game for Tottenham in terms of uh, you know personnel now lost out of that game. It is, and at the same time though, the the few Spurs fans that I know. Uh, Mainly uh, Mark Sikaili, who we've had on the Instagram Live before, reacting to you know big games, including Tottenham. He was saying that like, mo- most of the Spurs fans are pretty proud of how this team kind of handled itself. I, given I think the you can be proud, but the cost Concerned. is going to be is yet to be seen. Right, 
I think we're going to see now what's going to happen with Romero without out for three games. Vandeven, you know, got hurt because of this, this tactic and probably had to overexert right. himself playing, um, you know, with nine men and not being able to sit back in a low block. Uh, you know, Odogi, you know, second yellow. Maybe, maybe you know, it's 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 going to be harder at Wolves. So uh, there, there, it remains to be seen what the cost of this is going to happen. Madison, you know, he how long is he going to be out? So. We'll see. We'll see if it costs Spurs more than uh, what they what they think. It you know not just the loss. Losing Romero and Van de Ven brings Tottenham to the point where they're playing. They're going to be playing Eric Dyer and Ben Davies as the two center backs in the next game. So it's a big drop. It's a huge drop off. But uh, we'll see how they handle it. All right, Javier. I've had my uh, my time to vent while it was over a win. Uh, let's. Uh, I'll step aside. Take us into Saturday's 1-0 loss that Arsenal experienced at Newcastle. A goal from uh, Gordon in the 64th minute. Uh, I say goal with quotation marks. What are your thoughts, Javier? Let it out. Uh, this is a safe space. Oh, man. Yeah, I don't know where to start. So that first half, I thought, was was fairly even gameplay-wise. Um, I thought there were almost no chances. Um, both teams looked like... You know, they had a lot of respect for each other, like I said, um, and I, I thought it was going to be a really close game. I mean, I said 1-0 Arsenal, which, um, you know, it very easily could have been in this game. Uh, but I thought that the the Kai Havertz at right attacking midfielder worked very well again. Um, I thought he was, this was the, his best game by far in an Arsenal shirt. I know that he probably could have been sent off for that tackle. Um, I think that that was the first like big contentious point in the game was his, uh, you know, him leaving his trailing foot and uh, tripping. But I think that's that's a yellow. It I wasn't. Think. It wasn't a trailing foot. It was a full like feet off was the his, ground it, dive into. Uh, you know, but I'm saying Newcastle it wasn't. It wasn't his leading foot. It was the back. His back foot that hit that hit the the Newcastle yeah. player. It All I was saying to you when we were texting about that was that. That has been given as a red card so far this season, and for whatever reason, it wasn't in this game. But Newcastle, they, I mean, they d- didn't have uh, Bruno Gimaraes sent off for the well, elbow that he well, threw I'm, at I'm about to Jorginho's to face. So I guess it kind of balanced out. No, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have to get to that because that was not a, that that's like a hundred percent Stonewall clearest red card you'll ever see. I mean, that's just violent conduct. I mean, they're both in the they're rules. both red cards. No, the the other one was a tackle for the ball. The other one, the other one, the, the, the ball had one, been gone, is, and no, the goal, the ball it hadn't been broke gone. the guy's ankle. He did not almost break the guy's ankle. I, I've watched it plenty of times. I, I was surprised that he only got a yellow for it, but okay. The tackle was much higher than that. He wasn't. He wasn't near his ankle. It was higher than that. It was like an, on his shin, like where his shin guard is. He was off the ground, like you said, and it was his trailing. You're foot. talking about. Kai You're Havertz, talking about the yes. Kai Havertz tackle, yes. right? Yes. Yeah, that doesn't make Did it better. The, high, the higher ankle. it is, the higher it is, the worse it is. That's usually what makes it a red card, especially this season in particular. And there's been instances where a tackle like that has happened, and the defenders gotten the ball, and they still get sent off. And Kai got none of the ball and got a yellow for it. I was confused about that one, but it doesn't end up. It, it doesn't matter because the scales ended up tipping in Newcastle's favor drastically anyway. Well, okay, but then the Bruno, Bruno, I don't know how Bruno doesn't get sent off there. That's like actually like it to me. It's it's a it's baffling because, I mean, you can't say that that 
that there's just no argument there for it. And when you have VAR, something like that has to be. I, he didn't get a card the whole game. He did. And he later also on. had. He, he also he had did no. when he uh, he he did a similar thing where he put his hands in uh, Fabio Vieira's face when Vieira was trying to challenge him, and it was right near the end of the game, and he got a yellow card for that. But and, and he reacted like it was the biggest injustice ever that he was receiving a yellow card for that when he's lucky that he didn't have a red card earlier. Um, yeah, it's we, we got to get down to the main decision though, Javier. The goal. What 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 is your take on the eventual Newcastle winner? All right. Well, I mean, four different things, incidents that I think you have to address. I think the first one is the ball out of play. I think it's pretty clear that the ball is out of play. Uh, I think it's a shame. That's where we disagree. Let me finish. I think I I think it's like the the, the angle that they have is almost conclusive, like 100 percent conclusive. But to me, it's unreal that they don't have the technology that places like the Bundesliga and Syria have where they have cameras on the line. So that you can see if a ball's out of play. Like, how do you not have that camera angle? To me, that's ridiculous. Um, and you know, they had the the technology at the World Cup too, where you could, you know, get, get for a, you know, if you knew a ball was out of play or not. How do we not have that? You know, in in twenty twenty three in the Premier League and so the supposed best league in the world, number one. So I think the fact that they only had one camera angle supposedly for if that ball's going out of play is just completely unacceptable. Uh, that's the first part. So I don't think I don't think it's acceptable to be like we didn't have the right angle for this. That's not, that's not okay. Like, especially when it looks out of play in the angle that they had. So, uh, you might think that it's not a hundred percent conclusive and that's why they couldn't rule on it. But to me that, that, that's not like an acceptable excuse to a ball that was, I think out of play. So number one, that, but okay. Did you have, do you don't think the ball was out of play? I don't think it was conclusive that it was out of play. Okay, that's what I. That's but what I don't I think that to, matters okay. because we're going to agree on the parts two, three, and okay, four. Okay, so of this. the next, the next incident, the next incident is, I don't know how. Let's just do the the Joellington push because, I think the. You know, people are saying that Gabriel was like backing up into him. That is completely allowed. Like in its in a space with like jostling with your body is allowed. You are not allowed to put two hands in the rules of the game on a player and push them even even two hands on someone's back especially in, in a position like that when you're near the goal it's always going to be a foul um and evidently not <laughs> i mean that to me that that was bizarre but hold on but so then he, while his hands were reached out pushing uh gabriel the ball actually hits his hand joe ellington's uh, hands and, yeah Joe Ellington's hand, and that's where it drops to Gordon. Now, there's a fourth issue here where, uh, so that's a handball that should be disallowed. You're not allowed to use a handball in the buildup of a goal, but apparently because he didn't score, that that's not relevant. But that's that to me that doesn't make sense at all. Uh, if there's a handball in the buildup to 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 a goal in the box, it should be chalked off. Um, and then they weren't. Uh, they they said they also didn't have the. Uh, the right angles to know if it was offside or not because they had to because the ball dropped on Joelinton's hand and then it like rolled to Gordon I guess uh, they needed to get the exact time that the ball hit Joelinton's hands and they number one just didn't want to talk look at the handball part because they already had a five minute VAR check and the offside they took like ten seconds and if that at that point when the ball hits his hands Gordon is in front of the play. He's offside. So yes, it would have been offside. 
Yes. So it, it, all of these things to me mean that you have to chalk it off. Even if there's doubt on every single one of them that it might be this and that. There's so many things wrong with this goal. It can't be a goal. Like it can't. You can't call this a goal. It's just it. Uh, it to me, it was uh, absolutely like baffling that they gave that as a goal. And it ruined the whole game because at that point, I think Arsenal had really started coming on. We started, you know, we kind of got into their heads in the first half. And I think we played really, really well and were able to like withstand a lot of the the dirty play that Newcastle was doing, give them a little bit back of their own medicine. I don't think we didn't, did anything crazy. I think Kai was the only one who really did like a, you know, like a really rambunctious tackle. But, you know, I thought even after that yellow card that Kai got, he played very, very well. Uh, Newcastle, like countless amounts of time, tried to rile him up, tried to push him, tried to, you know, get him sent off. And he didn't, you know. So uh, I I was actually I I think I was, you know, he he didn't get a goal in this game and he wasn't, you know, uh, creatively like the the best player on the pitch. But I thought he did his role fairly well. And he was, you know, uh, a warrior in midfield had great hold up play and uh was able to to move the ball quicker than he has been for the for this season and I liked him a lot more in that like right attacking role um you know I think it was an off day for our attackers I think Nketiah, Saka and Martinelli all didn't have good games um you know I think because credit to Newcastle as well Gordon and uh who was the other winger Newcastle's two wingers did excellently in tracking back and, and making sure Arsenal never really got those consistent overloads that you know they can take advantage of uh, usually, and it was kind of similar to kind of similar, not in terms of like high press, but in terms of like when they were deeper, kind of similar to what Chelsea uh, were doing in the, the game at Stamford Bridge. Just whatever you're doing as an attacking wide player, you have to make sure that you're tracking back. Otherwise, Saka and Martinelli are just going to have their way with whoever it is that's playing left and right back. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how Arsenal. You know, figure out little wrinkles to to get around that. I was surprised with no Odegaard. Uh, you know, I I really didn't again like the the Jorginho in midfield, even though I think he had a decent game. Um, you know, I I I think we really really missed having Thomas Partey. It looks like he's going to be out for you know till the end of the year apparently. So you know, it might be apparently it's a serious issue, and and uh, we're we're, li- we're looking a little bit light again in midfield. Odegaard, you know, I think was injured again and. In, and just didn't wasn't even on the bench in this game, so yeah, it's might need some midfield reinforcements in January because uh, he's Partey is going to go to the African Cup of Nations. Yeah, just we're looking. Uh, we probably needed to make one more midfield signing, and we, uh, you know, we're probably going to pay for it during this next couple of months. Uh, that's what January is for. Declan Rice, Declan Rice was excellent again because he's just great wherever he plays on the pitch. Um, he was really good in that eight role, just everywhere on the pitch, offensively, defensively. I thought he was probably our best player. Um, and he's been, I think, probably our best player overall this season. Um, I think he's been our most consistent player and just phenomenal addition to the squad, worth every single penny. Uh, he really willed us forward in this game. I mean, there were time, like at the beginning, Newcastle were really stifling us, especially in the first half and kind of getting to our heads. But Deccan Rice was the, was the guy, like, you know, keeping calm keeping everyone else calm and uh, 
just leading us forward, especially in the second half. I mean, he was doing some with some of those lung busting runs that he was doing at West Ham. We need we need him to do more of those. Uh, you know, to take take control of the ball a little bit more and make some of those uh, big plays that he he can make. So, I like to see that, and I want to see him develop that more uh, with Arsenal. Like you know, he 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 was doing that all the time at West Ham because he was the man. It doesn't feel like he's had the confidence or like the 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 the, the you know the orders from Arteta to be able to do that but maybe you know we, we almost got a couple goals uh you know in the second half from from his runs I think Arteta also claims that there was an Enketia penalty but we're not even going to go there um yeah no just just very disappointed by VAR in this game I thought Arteta's comments after the game were spot on I'm glad he did it I'm glad the club blacked him I know he's probably going to get banned for a couple of games, but I think it sends you know a message to the other clubs that uh, you know someone's got to speak up, something's got to change because it's it's not just us that suffers this; it's it's every team. You know, there's there's been Liverpool with the with the goal that was, that they just miscommunicate that it wasn't a goal. I mean, just things like that just can't happen in the best league of the world, and you can't have decisions not uh, you know when we have the technology in other places and and you know that we have the means to be able to, to change this and it just doesn't change year by year by year. We have the same crappy referees who make horrific decisions and then the VAR doesn't correct them. There's a lot of times like, like we VAR is great with offside. I think that's that part of the game, at least sometimes, yeah, it's a pain in the butt when your team, you know, it's a millimeter offside, but for the most part, there's been goals that haven't been, that don't get chalked off by the referee on the pitch, but you know, we're pretty clear offsides. So I'm glad when those happen or like a handball or, or something like that. But then just, just so many other decisions that there needs to be a bit more communication from the referees. The referees need to be brought to the screen, not just only to always give a penalty, but sometimes to, you know, see a, see a red card incident or, uh, you know, uh, it just it, it, there needs to be better communication. There needs to be better technology. And it's out there. We saw it in the World Cup. We've seen it in other leagues. And things got to change, man, because there's so many teams suffering from these crazy decisions that have been going on this season. The inconsistencies, that's that's the worst part of it, too. Sometimes you see a red card for one tackle. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes you see a handball given for one thing and not another. And it just it's it happens for some teams and it doesn't happen for others. And it's suspicious that the uh, Saudis and the uh, are involved with both of those teams. And it just so happens, Alex, that the uh, the Premier League referees, they go uh, referee games during the summer over in Saudi, get paid a lot of money to go pay including Michael Oliver, a bunch of the, the Premier League referees, the, the PGMOL have a conflict of, conflict of interest there that they allow their referees the to go. The Saudi season runs go. at the same time as the Premier League, so I don't know how they could do that. No, they just do like uh, exhibition matches, oh, things like okay. that, and they get paid a ton of money. And to me, it's 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 a conflict of interest that there's teams that are literally backed by the... Wow, so you're going full... Yeah, like, I it's, it's, it's bad, a, dude. I don't city 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 and now Newcastle are gonna you're gonna see the favorable treatment this season. Newcastle right. are gonna make top four. All right, <laughs> mark my words now. I know they're gonna do it. Newcastle are gonna make top four. All right, they're gonna they bought it. Well, Javier, we've used the vast majority of the pod to talk about our two teams. So let's uh, let's break out because there's tons of other stuff going on in the league this weekend, uh, including one of the I'd say the shock result of the weekend. Luton ended up with a 1-1 draw at home against Liverpool. They went ahead in the 80th minute, thanks to Tahith Chong, uh, the former United man, uh, man United man. Uh, and then 
Liverpool ended up equalizing in the 95th minute through uh, Luis Diaz, who, uh, you know, of course, was held out of last week's game. Emotional equalizer, yeah. His, his parents uh, had been kidnapped in Colombia. Unbelievable story. His here. mom has since been um, saved, recovered, uh, but his dad is still being held captive. Uh, by who? I don't know. Guessing some sort of cartel affiliations. We don't know yet. So uh, Diaz scored the goal and then lifted up his shirt to reveal the message saying, Free my dad. Um, freedom for dad. And uh, while that is like a, a nice emotional exclamation point to, to put on the game. This was Luton's best performance I do of the think, season. They were, they were good. Yeah, I think there needs to be a, a big round of applause for how Luton uh, acquitted themselves during this game because they defended for their lives for most of it. Uh, they even got lucky with uh, Darwin Nunez missing the biggest sitter you'll see anyone oh, that was miss horrific. when Salah that was headed horrific. it down and he just blasted it over. Oh, that was so bad. That was right before Luton scored, actually. Right, yeah. Um, and i got to give credit to uh, a former Chelsea man, Ross Barkley. I sent you this, Javier, right before we started recording. It's a screenshot from uh, Match of the Day, the highlight show over in England, of Ross Barkley's game by numbers and his ranking in terms of the Luton team in all of these categories. He was first in touches, first in passes, first in uh, successful pass accuracy in the final third with 75% of his chances uh, or his passes completed in the final third. First in possession one, uh, or tied first in possession one with uh, with with 10 times, uh, first in tackles with three, and first in distance covered. <laughs> like... The man was everywhere doing everything. If you had to pick a game that Ross Barkley would play out of his skin, it would be this one. You know, he's a former Everton uh, Academy product. Uh, he usually played well. I remember when he would play for Chelsea against Liverpool, scored a banger in the FA Cup, I remember, right before he left. And he also had the uh, the ball out to uh, Cabore, the uh, the Luton right back who ended up uh, delivering it in for Chong. And it was a perfectly weighted ball to set up uh, Cabore before he set up the, the, the opening goal. We haven't seen much of Ross Barkley. He's played a fair amount, but we haven't we haven't seen him do what he's been signed to do. So it's it's nice for him, at least, that, you know, he's gotten another chance in the league after being out in uh, in, in France for the, the previous season playing for Nice. And he's put in a man-of-the-match type performance against a top team like Liverpool. And of course, there's other good performances from Luton, like around the pitch, but Ross Barkley in particular really stands out. And then turning to Liverpool, do you think this is one that, like, should we make more of this than than what it is? Is this a sign, like, of things to come for Liverpool? Would you be worried if you're a Liverpool fan is what I'm asking? I mean, I think the loss of Robertson is is maybe costing them a little bit. They started Joe Gomez in this game and and it wasn't... You know, they didn't really seem to get much offensive output. I mean, they tried to basically use Trent for everything, and, and it seemed like they were it was working uh, early on from, you know, the chances that they were getting. But I, Darwin Nunez, man, I mean, he could have had two or three goals again in this game. And Salah has, has been unbelievable creatively this season. And again, you know, very unselfishly, like you said, put a ball on a platter for him. Easiest chance he'll get, and he missed it. And just... For Liverpool, I mean, they still had a lot of shots, a lot of possession. It was kind of, a, I think, a little bit of a, a fluke game for them. I think they, you know, could have easily gone up. I think if they go up one nil, they they win this game three nil, and and no one says anything. But 
because they missed that crazy chance, I think it gave that lift that Luton needed at that point where it's like, all right, it's the 73rd minute. They didn't just score. And then they go on seven minutes later and score. You know, I think they got a couple of chances before that, too. Like you could almost feel it coming from Luton after that missed chance by Liverpool. So that's just kind of how football works. And sometimes you give teams a little bit of a lift, like you miss a penalty or, you know, you get a red card and then suddenly the whole game changes and missing a tap in, you know, sitter chances one of those t- types of moments and they took advantage of it. So I, I think a point against Liverpool, they'll, they'll be ecstatic. You know, there, there's a lot of really bad teams in the league and, you know, you never know if you can pick up enough of these, uh, you know, random wins and draws. Yeah. I also think it's kind of a, uh, putting the rest of the league on notice that Luton are not the shit team that we, we've been basically talking uh, about like this, this whole season. Yes. They've gone to Everton and gotten a win there. Uh, they came back from 2-0 down against Nottingham Forest a, a week or two ago and, and got a 2-2 draw at Forest, which is impressive. And then they held Liverpool to to a point here. So just shifting that, that perception around the rest of the league of what it means to play against Luton, if you can shift that perception to, you know, have teams, you know, fear you a little bit more and not just think you're going to be pushovers... Then that can that can really do you do you good for a possible safety campaign. I, I was just chalking Luton up to you know be the bottom team. That seems to be replaced by Sheffield, even though they got their first win of the season this weekend. But it's nice to know there's still a little bit of life in in teams like Luton and Sheffield. Where do we want to move on to next? I, I feel like we have to mention City just for Jeremy Doku alone. You know. Yeah, I mean he set the uh, tied the Premier League record for uh, most assists in a game. He could have. You know, maybe gotten a couple more as well. He created unbelievable performance from him. Just absolutely shredded Bournemouth for uh, that entire game. And when you see six goals from Manchester City, you think, ah, Holland hat trick, right? Like, no, Holland came off at half, at halftime with no involvement in the game, basically. Yeah, just unbelievable performances from, you know, Bernardo Silva, again, Jeremy Doku. I thought Roger was, was unbelievable as well. I mean, just typical city. We have but. to talk about the second Bernardo Silva goal. The the one where Doku plays plays the ball in behind and then Silva picks it up, rounds one defender and then just dinks it over the keeper. And then Pep Guardiola said it himself after the game. It was messy like what Bernardo Silva did for that second goal. And I can't disagree with him. Yeah. It looks like the goal that Messi scored against Bayern Munich in the Champions League semifinal when Pep was the, uh, the Bayern Munich coach where he just dropped Jerome Boateng and then dinked it over the keeper. Obviously not the same uh, same setting to score a goal like that, this being against Bournemouth in the league in November um, and not in the Champions League, but still, the, the skill and poise that it took to finish that way was very impressive. And then finally, I think we need to mention that Sheffield United win. I don't, I don't know if you watched this because it was during that sort of 11 a.m. Uh, time slot, but it was one of the games that went on the latest. This one comes to mind uh, when talking about games uh, this week just because there was another like contentious VAR decision at the end where Sheffield United scored to go up 1-0 through Cameron Archer in the 72nd minute, and then uh, Jean-Ric Nair uh, Belligard scored for Wolves to equalize in the 89th minute. And then in the 10th minute of added time, Fabio Silva, the, the young uh, Portuguese striker for, for Wolves, I don't even think he grazed 
the Sheffield United player. I forget who it was that it looked like there was almost no contact. Yeah, basically zero contact. The player went down and the referee who was standing right there, there was no excuse for him being too far away or having his vision blocked by someone just immediately pointed to the spot. And you'd think VAR would look at that and just overturn it and say, drop ball or, uh, you know, free kick to, to Wolves for a dive. But no, the penalty's given, and uh, Sheffield basically get their first win of the season from this big mistake. Uh, so it's a huge result for Sheffield. I can't be angry at them for it. I'm sure they'll take whatever they can get at this point. But for the run that Wolves have been on, I'm, it's got to be heartbreaking for them because, you know, for like a big chunk of that game, they were uh, nil-nil trying to push to, to get a result, went down, fought their way back into it to get an equalizer, and then they walk away with nothing against a team that you'd think they would fancy themselves to go and beat. You know, that, that needs to be mentioned just because it's part of this weekend's theme of crazy referee slash VAR decisions. Uh, just want to mention that West Ham and Brighton are both kind of on bad form right now after, uh, you know, good starts to the season. Both of them have kind of petered off a little bit. Both uh, West Ham getting losing to Brentford 3-2 and then uh, Brighton, you know, drawing with Everton, who, you know, relegation candidates as well. Everton were almost good for a win there as well. So um, late own goal to uh, to get that equalizer for Brighton. For sure. All right, Javier, let's step into the kitchen. We've got uh, one more week of Premier League games before the final international break of the 2023 calendar year. What are your suggestions? What are you cooking up in the kitchen for this week's fantasy kitchen? So there's a, there's a couple of players I want to mention here. Um, I think the the most obvious one is Jeremy Doku. I think six point six mil. He just got four assists. Pep's I can't, been gushing. I can't about allow him. this, just, Javier. Hold on. You've, you've said Jeremy no, no, Doku before. You've said you've said just him wait, before. Just wait. No, no. But I'm gonna say I, I was gonna say I think it's a little bit of a trap. I think whenever we've seen a player like. Uh, who doesn't play every single game for City and gets praised a lot, has really good performances. Sometimes he gets dropped. I don't, I'm not saying he's going to get dropped for the next game, um, but I think there's another City asset that we should look at um, that we mentioned as well and who just got two goals, Bernardo Silva, 6.3 mil. Um, he was kind of irregular to start the season. I think he got an injury and he didn't play for a couple of games. But he recently he got an assist in the Manchester United game, and then he got you know two goals in this. He also could have gotten a couple of assists. There were a couple of chances that people missed that he put on a dime. So Bernardo Silva's played 90 minutes in the last four games. He he's a player who looks nailed on right now to be played in that City lineup um, while De Bruyne is out, and I I think he's much more nailed, nailed on than Doku, more nailed on than Foden or any of those other players. So if you want to get a third city attacking player in, I think I might go with Bernardo over Doku. Um, just, you know, some food for thought. Bernardo only 6.3 mil. I think Watkins went a little cold after a couple of weeks. He's one I think you should still hold on to. They still got some good fixtures. Um, I would keep, you know, your, your, your Villa assets. I think defensively though, Villa are trash. I'd get rid of, you know, even Cash and Digne haven't been producing. I, I don't know. I think there's, there's better assets out there right now. Um, one of them is, is, you know, it looks like Crystal Palace defensively, they're going to be solid this season. Um, you know, Tariq Mitchell, only 4.6 mil. He's one that, uh, just got a goal. Um, you know, he, he's had a lot of clean sheets this season, him, Anderson and Mark Gahey, all decent, uh, fantasy assets under five mil, you know, Crystal Palace, you can switch them in and out. I, I think if our, I've already said LaSalle's Alex, but he keeps starting four mil for a Newcastle asset. You got to get on that soon. He's going to go up in price soon. You got to think, um, especially if he keeps on playing. 
Um, and then the last one, Alex, he's a, a player of yours that uh, you've gushed about before on the pod, but we haven't really mentioned him at all as a fantasy asset, is uh, Mohamed Kudus. 6.5 mil from uh, West Ham. He's been scoring some beautiful goals. The goal against Brentford uh, had a goal. was insane. Insane. And, uh, you know, he, he's had some audacious efforts so far that I've seen. He's just now establishing himself in the side, but goal and assists, uh, you know, against Brentford and you know, really seems to be one of the catalysts for, uh, you know, attacking in this West Ham team. And, you know, West Ham have a, have a pretty good run of fixtures. They play uh, in their next f- six games uh, other than the Spurs away, which is in, in four weeks here, or, in f- you know, four game weeks. They play uh, five bottom half of the table teams. So, you know, Nottingham Forest, Burnley, Crystal Palace, Fulham, and Wolves. So, you know, they, they could get some some good uh, returns, West Ham, in, in this next five or six weeks. So if there's a time to pick up Jared Bowen or Mohamed Kudus, I think it's right now. Okay. Javier. Thank you for uh, joining me tonight. If you want to follow Javier on Twitter, you can follow him at JavierRev9. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at ASMoss92. And you can follow the podcast socials at GhostGoalPod. Enjoy the Champions League games this midweek and the Premier League games this weekend. And until next time, see ya.